Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching baseball, softball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. Thank you for making us a part of your day on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course on YouTube, the Softball Strength Academy YouTube page. And today on episode 45, our main topic talking about thinking along with the pitcher in both baseball and softball. There are some small subtleties some similarities, and some differences as well. We'll get into it. Let me bring in my friend, co-host, softball national champion at the University of Alabama. She's very chippy today, and she's a current-day renowned coach. She's at the beach today, but also I'm pretty sure she's happy because LSU won the College World Series. Cassie yeah. Riley Bosha. I They did. Um, yeah. You know what? I, that, was a, that was a fun World Series to watch, either way. Um, but the second game Florida played, I was like, holy cow, they're making this a game. I didn't think they would uh, make it a series. So that was a fun series to watch for sure. Now, were you were you on the edge of your seat? I don't think you were really on the edge of your seat or as intense as it would be, say, if Alabama was on. Correct. And Or when they were on during the softball um, tournament. So it was a little bit different, but certainly was- your hatred, as you talked about last week, go back in the archives and listen to that, your hatred for the University of Florida, for the Gators, probably... <laughs> Yep. Probably pushed you a little bit a little bit harder as a fan last week. It was you know what? It was one of those I got to just follow and enjoy. And uh yeah, it's honestly either either way. Uh, good for baseball. I think they broke records for viewing and yeah. you know. Um so I think that's it's good for college baseball all around. It was a lot of fun to watch too. The, the the passion, the intensity with those kids. It was really a lot of fun and, and just I'm looking around seeing just on that field how many future big leaguers we should be seeing within the next few years i've got two of them in mind and the there's a couple there with florida that um are really really talented so um i always you know like to when i do watch the college world series in years past i always like to see who has a shot to make it to the big leagues who really stands out because all those players and you know this playing in the sec they and baseball softball any sport in the sec or any sport when you get to that level the tournament level world series type level they're all really gifted and exceptionally talented and sometimes you wonder how all of those kids don't get drafted and then you sort of notice the subtle differences but um it's just fun to watch just possibly see future professional players and then you know future big leaguers as well and i think that major league baseball made the right decision in pushing back the mlb draft to give these kids a chance to sort of breathe a little bit and in a way sign a little bit later and then go right to instructional league rather than just getting drafted in June, getting done with the college baseball and then heading off to the training complex and then eventually being assigned to a team. So I think that it kind of aligns the timing of it, the timeline sort of aligns with everybody, not just college, but also high school kids as well. So MLB draft is coming up. That'll be a lot. Of fun. Do you have anybody at the academy that you are currently coaching? We have a few that are on people's radar. Yeah. So we had... I think we had three get drafted last year and uh it's funny because five six years ago we had our first guy get drafted which i spoke about a few weeks ago who's yeah. uh he got picked up by the nationals actually now he's not with tampa bay he's with the nationals now and joe's been pitching really well mm-hmm. so it it is just it's very special to see a journey of an athlete especially someone who you see the you don't just see the end product right so many of these athletes we get to see on tv we get to see them polished in the game but when you get to see an athlete go through the day in and day out the difficulty of being in, here in the winter of training indoors for the six months out of the year, and then you see them have that success, it's a different kind of special. So we do have a couple of guys that I think are on some MLB radars. Um, I think whether or not they decide to go, go with the team that drafts them or whether they continue on to college will be 
um, you know, dependent on where they get they get picked. But yeah, I will. Whenever that does happen, I will keep you posted. <laughs> yes, please do. And by the way, you can um, follow the Softball Strength Academy YouTube page to watch the show. And also we are on Apple, Google, Spotify. Follow us on social media at Matt Gentara and Cassie is at Coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at Coach Cassie RB on Twitter. And today we're talking episode 45 about thinking along with the pitcher, Jake Epstein and I on the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast talk so much about that magic word. It's become the word of both podcasts, really. Um, and and that word is having a plan or the or phrase, I guess, having a, having a plan up there at the plate and having an approach. There's that magic word. Having the approach at the plate and, and part of that approach is thinking along with the pitcher. But there are some subtle differences that you and I were talking about off mic about baseball and softball players when it comes to thinking along with the pitcher. There are those similarities and differences, but both are very subtle, and there's a fine line you're walking when you're talking about those two differences, thinking along with the pitcher, both baseball and softball. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's interesting because I obviously, I grew up in softball. I played softball. So much of what I originally started to coach was softball. And then when I met my business partner who was coming in from the baseball end for the last nine years, now we, you know, I've, I've been able to run parallel with working with some baseball players and diving into that sport uh, a lot more. So it is neat to see, hey, guess what? A rise ball in softball is actually very, very similar approach as a hitter to a high spin rate fastball that you're facing. Or uh, the slider is really what we call a drop curve ball or, you know, just just little things like that. Or a cutter is going to be very similar to a screwball. Um, so there are these similarities, but I, I think maybe, you know, most people think softball, oh, the uniqueness lies in the rise ball. I actually think the uniqueness lies way more in the distance that the pitch is thrown, the fact that when a hitter moves around in the batter's box, it is going to now impact those 43 feet way more than it would impact uh, the, why am I blanking, 60, what's what's exactly the? 60, uh, 66 the, inches, yeah. There you go. I, I knew it wasn't exactly 60, but um, <laughs> so it's going to, those like two or three feet in the batter's box are going to make a bigger difference on the 43 feet than it is on the, the 60 feet. So just little things like that. Um, you know, that, that pop up are just interesting to to note that, I've, again, why you can't train hitters exactly the same, but, you know, there are the similarities that you can't have the crossover with. You almost think that with thinking along with the pitcher, sometimes you, you might overthink and sometimes players get into trouble with that. I was one to overthink, um, and I'm not sure if you were the same way, but overthinking really to me, it, it causes, uh, it could cause a lot of problems. Right. Oh, so I, I wonder with with you and, and with professional players out there or just players listening in general, how do you how you guys go about thinking along with the pitcher, but not overthinking and sort of just going with what your gut says, going with certain trends. And if you get fooled, you get fooled. I guess there the insecurity goes away because now you're you know, you're not afraid to get fooled at the plate. If it happens, it happens. But I'm not going to deviate away from my approach. Sure. I think this is this goes back to so much of the awareness of of yourself as a hitter and, and that you talked about insecurities and that confidence because so many times we'll start to overthink when we're in a slump or when things are not going well. And we're starting to like lean on this overthinking as a crutch to be like this, well, this is what I have to do because I have to do something to get myself out of this. When you can start to take a step back and be like, wait a second, I'm this is not productive thinking that's going on right now. We're playing uh approach planning, I should say. Um, this is my anxiety is coming through. Then you can start to have a much more mature approach to thinking along with the pitcher. Um, but, and you know, this is, again, this goes back to 
the very fine and difficult line of growing up in your sport as a hitter and being like, wait a second, I've been able to get away with just not thinking and crushing it. I That's what's going to work for me. You have to understand that that is going to work off of mediocre pitching and not the best, the best pitching. And that when you do start to face a difficult pitcher day in and day out, when you as a hitter are on film and now pitchers can have a very specific plan against you, this is the type of chess that needs to get involved in, in your in your plan. So many times people ask and, and parents ask this too, how does my kid get to the next level? Well, number one, he has to be, t- or she, he or she, they have to be talented enough and most likely they're not. But number two, it, when you look at the players at the next level or you're playing against players at the high school level that are going on to play at a high-end college program or just going on to play, say, a high-end Division One, Division One, or Division Two, high-end Division Two, both baseball and softball, you notice a difference in that player's approach. If they're a pitcher, say, for this for episode purposes, topic purposes today, when they're pitching, you can tell that they're not just locked in and and that they don't that they do the things they need to do correctly physically, repeating their mechanics, but they they're mentally on a different level. They're a different it's a different sphere. And you you kind of figure out what that is when they go on to the next level. It, it's the fact that they are are having a mental plan and an approach and they don't deviate from that. Mm-hmm. And hitters, a lot of times with hitters, it's the, the same way, obviously, just inverted. But that's when they're at lower levels and then you're going on to the next level. And, um, you know, but you, that, that's what really stands out when you're before they get to that next level. Right. And and a plan and approach is that, okay, I need to be thinking about my, my mechanics of the plate. Because I think that is also a, a disconnect sometimes where people are like, oh, well, what do you what do you have to be thinking at the plate at that next level? It's it's you know very similar to studying for a test versus cramming for the test. And I think I've mentioned this before. You try to cram five minutes before you go into your test, then all of a sudden you're going to be overthinking a question as you're, you didn't actually learn it and you didn't actually practice it. But if you actually know the material, a test becomes very easy. It's as you're reading the question, it, even if it's multiple choice, the answer you already know it. It pops in your head. So your plan, your approach, because you've practiced it, because you've worked on it so much in your game plan off the tee, off front toss, off of leading up to that game, you're in the box and you just know it. You're not overthinking in the box then. And I think that is also a big distinction too that people don't realize. So people are probably wondering when you were playing in your playing days at University of Alabama, Crimson Tide, and you were um, playing some of the best of the best. You mentioned, you know, last week, you you guys would struggle a lot with Florida, for example, the Gators. But you beat up on everybody else throughout the country. When when you were going up to the plates and you had this uh, this plan and approach, and something went completely wrong, or or it went the other way, and your approach was way off, how did you make those in game adjustments? You personally, and also your team as well, because sometimes you know, have, thinking along with the pitcher, we're not mind readers. We can, you know we can study trends and scouting reports and video and film and data, but. Sometimes it doesn't always line up correctly the way we want it to. Sure. And listen, sometimes umpires are going to throw it off too because right, right. when we go into a game, we're asking, okay, what's the what's the pitcher going to try to throw for a strike? What's she going to try to throw as her waist pitch when she's ahead? Um, we're trying to figure out all these different things. Uh, is she someone who goes right at people? Is she someone who has high pitch counts? Whatever it may be, um, all of a sudden you get in the game and her pitch she normally throws really well for a strike is completely different that day. And maybe because she's made the adjustment or maybe the umpire is giving, you know, a ball and a half off the plate. And now, you know, we have to make those adjustments. So it's not a completely unique uh, thing that just pops up when you start to make these in-game adjustments. It's almost like, listen, we've 
we've faced pitchers like this before. We face scenarios like this. So you have almost like a bucket of, hey, uh, sitting on a hard outside pitch, uh, seeing a ball down, uh, moving up in the box to attack a low drop ball. Like there's there's buckets of things that you have already practiced and already worked on. And so when you make the adjustment, you're really just pivoting into a different lane that you've practiced. It's I, I would almost consider it similar to a quarterback calling an audible. It's not like there's something, it's it's not like a play that they've never heard of. It's like, hey, we're just, we're running this one now. Um, so that is, I mean, that might be the best way to try to explain an approach to someone who really doesn't grasp it is it is a play like in football. You have a playbook of approaches, let's say, that you've practiced and have nailed down and through the guidance of what the coaches are seeing and what maybe the the lineup has seen the first time through, that's how then you make the adjustment and you call it a different play. You know, in, in past episodes, you, you talked about how you used to prepare or almost follow along with the pitcher at home and mm-hmm. you prepare that way for games. You did that in high school. I'm sure you did that in college as well. Old school kind of charting, if you will, charting before, you know, charting being really, be, really became a thing at, at various levels with all the new technology. But how did you prepare away and pick your brain a little bit here? How did you prepare away from the field for those pitchers to get yourself ready to have a plan, have an approach and be able to successfully think along with those pitchers? What was your process like? You're studying like up to that series or up to that next game. So, you know, when I remember my my first couple of years, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch a pitcher and watch, you know, because I never had this much data on a pitcher. Like, I never got to watch, you know, as you get to college, all of a sudden they play 15 games on ESPN. You have so much information uh, to watch. So I was I was just watching everything. But then as I got older, I started to look at, okay, how does she throw lefties? And specifically, how does she throw lefty hitters? Because in softballs, Le- there's so many lefties that are slap hitters, crafty bunters. Like it's it's a completely different position essentially on offense. I was just a very traditional slow lefty hitter. I wasn't going to be bunting or slapping or surprising anyone. So I would look and see how does she throw those hitters, um, and I would just watch those at bats. And I would I would have a strike zone, so I would draw out uh, a strike zone with the nine slots. And I would just put an X if it was a strike and a circle if it was a ball, like where around the zone it was. And then all of a sudden you watch, you know, 10, 12 at-bats and you're like, this X has been popping up. This X is getting very dark because I keep I keep putting it in that same spot. Yeah. And now I'm thinking in my head, okay, this general area is where she wants to attack or where she's comfortably attacking hitters. Because as much as a hitter would like to flatter themselves and think that a pitcher is going to have this very, very unique plan for each hitter, which... To an extent, she will. She is still going to pitch to her strengths, right? If she doesn't throw a screwball very well, she's probably not going to all of a sudden just try to throw a screw- like one of her worst pitches to to a good hitter. You get what I mean? So she's going to try to play it into her strengths as well. So that was the first step to me being like, okay, this is the pitch I'm probably going to want to attack. And then similarly, that circle of where she was wasting would start to get really dark too. And I could start to try to visualize, okay, I'm going to visualize taking that particular pitch. Um, and then I also, I wanted to see how she got uncomfortable. Did she get uncomfortable when a hitter was crowding the plate? Did she get uncomfortable when the hitter was up in the box? Because my very first, you know, let's say my plan, I want it to be on top of the plate. Like I wanted to crowd the plate, make her really uncomfortable. But, um, you know, she didn't throw first pitch strikes rarely ever. Well, my first pitch or my first uh, pitch that I was going to see from her, I was going to do something very obtuse to what my, my approach was to try to throw off. So I was going to stand off the plate, up in the box, something like that knowing that really wasn't the pitch I was looking for, especially my first at-bat. 
And now, so now in her head, she's like, all right, this girl's up in the box off the plate. I get out after my first pitch and now I get boom, right back on the plate. And now I'm doing something different. I'm just trying to make her very uncomfortable, I guess, you know. And again, you want to do that within the confines of not making yourself overly uncomfortable. But that was kind of like the game within the game, I guess, that that you start to play. Well, the the game within the game, that's that might be the the phrase of the show, because, you know, you mentioned there we've mentioned throughout the, the audibles and you know, pit the pitcher pitching to her strengths, but then you, you factor into what the catcher might see, mm. and and w- within within the game and with hitters, and what the catcher may think in attacking that hitter. So there's a lot of cat and mouse going on, and a lot of moving parts. And for a hitter, I think that because of all those moving parts, if you move away from your approach, your actual approach, or your actual plan, you're not thinking well with the pitcher anymore, and you're you're doing yourself a real disservice. Right, right. And, and you know, it's it's funny, too, because talk about learning from watching the game. I remember sitting at home, 17 years old, watching the World Series, and this player from Arizona State is sitting back in the box. She's a lefty hitter, and she's all the way in the back of the box. And a drop ball is a very prominent pitch in um, in softball. And it's you could say it's kind of like a curveball, but it really doesn't have, you know, it's, it's a much sharper movement. It's not, you know, there's really... I don't know what the equivalent would be in in baseball. Maybe, maybe a slider, maybe a sinker, maybe something that like, yeah. maybe drops off the table. But from an underhand position, a ball that like almost looks like it's coming up to then come down. So anyway, it was. So she's in the back of the box. The pitcher goes into her windup, and I've never seen anything like it. It was almost like a Happy Gilmore drill. This hitter did. She put feet together, feet apart, and like all. So all of a sudden, this pitcher is trying to throw a pitch to make it to the hitter in the back of the box, so it crosses her plane to be a strike. And it's because the batter just moved up, it's going to be flat, essentially, when she crosses and she crushed a home run on the center field wall. And I was, like, so mind-blown. I was, like, to be able to have, one, be a good enough hitter to be able to have that as a tool in your repertoire, to be able to, like, be like, all right, I'm going to guess she's throwing a drop ball here. I'm going to guess it's going to be flat if I move up the, the three feet in the box right now. It was one of the coolest things. And that's, I, you know, you don't, it's not the most common thing. I'm not saying every hitter does it in softball, but I've never really seen something like that. Maybe Ichiro, Ichiro tried something like that one time in baseball, but it's really not something I see, I've seen happen in baseball much. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, I, you know, I do wonder um, when it comes to, to baseball, but, and then of course, when it comes to softball, how much the catcher plays into, I know how much it does in baseball, softball though, how much the catcher plays into that pitcher's approach and attacking that hitter. And how now that hitter has to understand even further what the game plan might be now, what changing at bat to at bat, right? For sure. So something about the stance, right? Open stance, yeah. close stance, back of the box, front of the box. I, you know, what's a shame is I don't I don't know if baseball's turned into it. Softball has predominantly turned into everyone's wearing a wristband and the coach. Yeah, I think you know, yeah, I've I've noticed that in baseball. Yeah. I've noticed at the college level, yeah, you know, not more. in pros, right, right, right. But yeah, the co- the the dugout coach is calling a pitch. Everyone is able to look, see exactly what the pitch is, and then here comes the pitch. Um, now, when we were in college, um, our pitching coach from the dugout, it, it really depended. There might have been a series of three batters that our pitching coach, Stephanie Van Brakel, would be like, hey, listen, uh, we have a really specific approach. We can see something, something going on. I'm going to call these next three batters, whatever it may be. Um, and then there might be another time where the catcher would come in, have the conversation, be like, listen, I'm seeing something I, I feel like I can call. And then there'd be times where the pitching coach would call and it was up to the catcher if she was going to take the suggestion or not. 
but it was it was funny because I don't know if it happens in baseball as much, but softball, there's a lot of picking signs. There's a lot of trying to pick the pitch. And so our pitching coach would call all the time. And 50% of the time, she didn't matter at all because the catcher was going to call it anyway. <laughs> so, right, right. you know, as well as I, I, I do miss the, uh, I just feel like catchers are so smart and can like really uh, call a game well. But in the same breath, the amount of technology and information, I guess, that comes in and that is available, like how much easier is it for a coach to have a book in front of them, essentially calling, like figuring out that information versus having to have it, you know, stuck in a catcher's brain. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Um, a part of me misses a catcher being able to call, but maybe there is too much information now to hold it all in a catcher's head. So what kind of adjustments did you make at the plate when you had to, you know, and then change your approach and, and think along with the pitcher? Sure. So, uh, I mean, I, I used to love crowding the plate. Um, I would love trying to challenge the hitter to say, you have to thread a needle to throw me a perfect inside pitch without hitting me. Um, and if she threw anywhere else over the plate, it's my advantage now. Now an outside pitch looks essentially down the middle. Um, I would practice staying on the plate. And then, you know, she could throw that. Let's say she was like, hell yeah, I'm throwing that inside pitch, especially as a lefty, right? If you have a right-handed pitcher trying to throw a curveball inside to a lefty, she's got to be really good to not let it run and hit you. But let's say she was, because there definitely was people that were there. I would I would be on top of the plate knowing I was stepping in the bucket, so knowing I was stepping into an open stance, only looking inside, trying to hit right center field gap. And if that worked, then my second at bat, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going back on the plate, but now I'm not moving because a smart pitcher would be like, I'm not going to throw inside again. So, you know, sometimes that worked, sometimes it backfired, and, you know, it, it obviously didn't fall into... My, my hands the way I wanted it to. Of course not, right? Nobody nobody bats a thousand. But um I think just the knowing like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it's it's a boxing match. It's like I'm gonna try this. Oh, they blocked my punch there. Okay, let me try this. They, you know, and it's um or an an off speed pitch and and knowing like, okay, I'm going to maybe widen out and move up in the box slightly to try to help me stay back and and not be too far over my front side or um yeah, there's just little things like that. I used to really enjoy because it wasn't just a battle with the pitching the pitcher it was a battle with the pitch caller right uh whoever that ended up being and i think that is um those are intricacies that i never really appreciated or truly learned until i got to that collegiate level but i think if athletes who are watching the game and can start to get exposed to some of that in the earlier stages of travel ball or competitive high school ball then you're just gonna be that much more equipped to to call those audibles and make those adjustments come come game time so let's take me through the audience may be wanting to know this big chunk of them take take us through take me through what your approach was before a game when you're going into the on deck circle let's say you're batting third so you're coming up top of the first inning you're on the road against the gators against florida you're coming up you're batting third batting in the first inning what was your approach what was your just overall evergreen approach that you were taking to that first at bat forget the adjustments that are going to be made later. Mm. What was your overall approach as you're in the on-deck circle or just thinking along with the pitcher? Because again, when you're in the on-deck circle, forget the warm-ups. We talked about that in previous episodes. The <laughs> physical warm-ups don't really do too much. You have to be thinking along with that pitcher, creating a plan and understanding the pitcher's tendencies. Watch, actually watching the game, right? Instead of mm. just doing weird warm-up drills. <laughs> what was your approach and your plan like in the on-deck circle so that you were successful in your first plate appearance when you went up there and thinking along with the pitcher. Sure. So uh, let's. Most of the pitchers I faced for Florida were hard throwing screwball type pitchers, right? And so let's let's pretend that was the case. 
Um, if I got up to the plate and there was a scenario where we were no outs, uh, runner on second, so, something where it would have been beneficial for me as a lefty to hit it to the right side, um, I would get on the plate, crowd the plate, and I would do my approach where I'm, I'm hoping she forfeits her screwball because I'm on top of the plate and I'm going to step in the bucket, hope she throws me in and, and gets something to the pole side. Um, cause second and third, third, even if it's a fly ball to right field, whatever it may be, it's going to, I'm trying to score a run to the pole side. Um, let's say I get up and nobody's on, there's two outs and, and I'm looking to get a base hit here. Um, I might still be on the plate, but now I'm, I'm not budging. Now I'm, I'm really trying to attack that screwball that she's throwing towards the outside part of the plate for me. Um, so that is, that's like the first pitch, uh, you know, if you're looking at like a, uh, uh, a flow chart, right? It's like, okay, this is what I'm, I'm going to work with. And you know. What what adjustment do, did she throw a strike? Yes, no. <laughs> what happens next? You know, um, so that's that was the typical approach. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't think it needed to be too too much more difficult than that. And a hard hard throwing screwball outside pitch pitcher, you're trying to let, or in my case, I was trying to let it get deep because I typically went out and got screwballs too soon. If you're a hitter who lets an outside pitch get too deep, you're going to have a completely different approach than I did. Uh, but something where I was just visualizing that that my bat leading the ball right into the opposite field gap, a nice smooth eighty percent swing. Eighty <laughs> percent, yes, never one hundred percent. It never, never worked for me. <laughs> what? So how did you? What was your an example of times that you changed your approach in game, or they had to change to think along with the pitcher? Again, I I, I mentioned approach a lot in the episode yeah. because it ties in with thinking along with the pitcher. So how did you go about changing? Um, your approach in game second to third to fourth plate appearance. So perfect example was we played in the national championship game. We played a really hard throwing lefty uh, pitcher. First game we got beat. Second game we decided to be on the plate up in the box, which almost like trying to face Randy Johnson. That's like what you're trying to try to face, right? <laughs> and it made her so uncomfortable. She ended up hitting like every. I got hit by a pitch twice in that second game. So, of course, third game, hell yeah, we're coming back to the exact same thing. And she made an adjustment where now she was able to thread the needle. She was locating uh, her changeup extremely well. So uh, we took a completely different approach our second time through the lineup, backed up in the box just a hair, gave a little space, and now we were trying to attack that inside pitch. Um, so maybe a little bit of an open stance. Um Something I actually have seen Oklahoma do a lot, and I don't know obviously what's going on in their brain, but I've noticed when they, when it seems like they're sitting inside pitch, their bat, instead of being like all the way loaded where the knob is facing the catcher's mitt in this this cocked position with their wrist, it almost looks like they flatten out just a little bit, not a lot, nothing crazy, to almost mm-hmm. cheat to get quicker to the inside pitch. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, I, I watched they did that recently. I'm sorry. To- this is a great story, but they do that. I, I saw this recently at the World okay. Series. So if I was going back in time and able to do that, I probably would have cheated a little bit with something like that. But essentially, all the cheats you can think of for an inside pitch, where you're like trying to maybe be slightly open, maybe you're just you're just trying to think quick to the ball uh, to try to hit a hard inside pitch at that point. Yeah. All right. We I think we covered everything today when it comes to yeah. thinking along with the pitcher episode forty five. Thank you for joining us today. Again, subscribe, leave a review, Apple, Google, Spotify, or on the Softball Strength Academy YouTube page, and also email us Jimbo Podcast twenty one at gmail Episode forty six coming up next week, so stay tuned for that. We appreciate you. Did I miss anything? I'm trying to think. We did the shoot email, email account. 
Twitter, Instagram, got both the underscore nod. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so I started a new streak last week. Um, mm, I think we got everything. I think we're all good to go. If you want to be a sponsor, emails too. JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. Episode 46 next week. Thank you for joining us. We will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.